I want to give to you this morning from Psalm 139, if you'll turn there in your Bibles. The cause to worship God, the cause for us as the church of Christ to exalt him and to praise him. A psalm that I'm entitling Precious Thoughts. Let's read the psalm and then we'll make some comments. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Whether shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned. And as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them, if I should count them. They are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The Apostle Paul expressed in Philippians to the church there in Philippi these words. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. It's such a wonderful thing to um, be a part of the church of Christ because we have such 
grace that is bestowed on us by God himself, and then he places us with, on this earth with people of the church of Christ, and we're just drawn to them. This is what Brother Johnny was talking about. The ones he wants to be with are the ones who want to exalt Christ and wants to praise God and to worship God. And so the attraction is there to be with you today. And the attraction is here to give that word of God to you and to love you and to give you God's grace through his word, which is what we just heard from Brother Johnny. You don't know, many of you don't know the climate that we live in right now in Christendom. Evangelicalism is waning severely and it is moving towards, because of the climate of the day, and politics and social issues, a movement is within Christendom to develop what is called Christian nationalism. And what we're going to do is we're just going to take this thing over and we're going to make this thing better by, based on what we deem to be the will of God. And that's a very dangerous yes. thing. Yeah. Every time it's been tried, it's failed miserably. And it's caused much death. Yes. Now, what the world needs is the gospel. Amen. And what the church needs is the word of God. And what the church needs is the word of God preached. And this is why I don't worry about time. <laughs> that's not to frighten you. That's I have specific notes for specific pages. And they go for about 40 or 45 minutes usually. So bear with me. This psalm is one of the most comforting passages in all the Bible. The eloquent language which David expresses gives to us precious thoughts. It's not hyperbolic language. This is not overextended language. This is a language that is real. It is not exaggerated truth. It is based really upon the Lord we worship. It is based upon his character. I want to give you seven stanzas. This is music. This is the Jewish hymn book, if you will. This is the red book of uh, the Jew or the Hebrew uh, for uh, singing unto God. And, and this is something that is given for the church in such beauty because the, each of these stanzas speaks of an attribute of God. And I'll give you these attributes, but it's all intended to direct our attention to him yes. for worship. I want to stir your hearts to praise God today. I want to stir your soul to exalt God. And it's interesting the way that the psalmist does it. He talks about the attributes of God, the theology and how it relates to him personally. Theology in the white ivory tower alone is not enough. It has to come to the very 
heart. It has to come to our very, the, the Hebrew would say, the very kidneys, the place of the heart and the emotions, that which is drawing us and bringing us to look to God in view of him. There's a word here in the Hebrew is yakar. It is a word that means valuable. It means costly. It is that which means precious. We see it in verse 17, how precious. And this is what David's language is all about in the psalm. It's this which stirs David's soul. It's that which makes him get up every morning, put his feet on the ground, and to long to see what God will providentially do in his life because God is exhibited to him. This is the same God who created all the stars in heaven. We know them to be trillions upon trillions upon trillions of stars hung on nothingness, space. There's no matter that each of these stars have been hung on. And they're in an orbit designed by the great designer. He did that with gases of hydrogen and helium and all these other kind of explosive gases. It would just burn up anything that came with any distance of them. This same God who did all of that created the 100 trillion atoms that make up each and every one of your bodies. And he says he has precious thoughts unto me. Think about that for a moment. Last night we talked about contemplating providence. Now I want you to think about that's what we think about what God's doing. What does God think about you? He thinks about you. This is what he says. Look at these seven truths. Verses 1 through 4 is praise that the psalmist gives to God's omniscience. His omniscience. That is, God knows everything about you. He says here, before your conception in your mother's womb. That's quite an intimate knowledge. He knows about you before you were even conceived in your mother's womb. David notes that the Lord knows every detail about every moment of his life. It's when he stands up. It's when he sits down. He is recording all of this even before these phones and watches and devices that we have. He's been recording your entire life. He says he knows the word in my mouth, in my tongue, before it ever came out. Think about that for a moment. Before you can speak the word, he knows it. Might watch what we say, right? 
Brother Conrad was onto something. He didn't say a whole lot until he was talking about God, until he was talking about the Word. You know that idol, all the idol words we use will be in judgment. Hmm. We really don't want to shoot the breeze, I don't think. He knows all of our thoughts. He's omniscient. He knows everything. There's not anything he doesn't know. He's intimately acquainted, we could say, with every detail of you, your whole body, all the aches and pains you might have right now, all the issues you might have in your body. My boss at work says, what I don't know won't hurt me. Let me tell you, that's not quite true. <laughs> it still hurts you. Back in October of uh, 2020, my doctor said, you're the picture of health. In March, I was having bypass surgery. I wanted to fire him. I thought he was supposed to be the expert. No, he's just practicing medicine. He knows all things. He knows your body that well, but he also knows your thinking. He knows your heart. He knows your feelings. He knows what you're feeling right now. He knows your fears. This is why he says over and over and over and over again, fear not, little one. He knows everything. He is omniscient. The psalmist continues in his hymn unto the Lord. He says, God is omnipresent. Anytime you see these words, omniscient, omni, omnipresent, omnipotent, these are words that means all. Omni means all. And those words added to it, shins means knowing, presence, obviously means he's everywhere. No one can ever escape God's active role in his or her life. He's omnipresent. He's everything. He's everywhere. He says, you have beset me behind and before, verse 5. And I love this. He laid and laid thy hand upon me. He's got his hand on you. And it's no wonder he exclaims then, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't comprehend that kind of knowledge, that kind of presence. I'm in and out of people's presence all the time but I'm never omnipresent I like to have my children believe that I am or omniscient but I'm not 
don't tell them. It's working out just fine right now. The Lord is above, he's below, he's all around, he is firm in him fullness of his grasp of every moment of our existence. He is completely in control of every atom of our body as well as every atom that is in the universe. Not an atom is going to go astray, not in the stars above, nor in the body that you live in. Nor is anything in your life going to go astray of all your experiences. It may be a surprise to you, but it's never a surprise to God. In fact, God has everything perfectly working out for you. This is what he means when he says he has his hand on you. It doesn't matter where I go. I can't go anywhere from his spirit. How am I going to flee from your presence? How am I, if I ascend into heavens, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. If I take my wings by the morning, if I dwell in the utmost seas, you're there. Even there. Now notice the way he says this in verse 10. Even there shall thy hand it's not only on us as in verse 5 but it leads us he's leading you along yeah that's knowledge just way too wonderful I agree with the psalmist it says Psalm 22 says, but you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. And dear church, you have been elected from before the foundations of the world. He has been your God all that time. The decision of when and how each of us lives and breathes and dies is all God's decision. He brings about conception and birth, and he brings about death and how that death will come. Everything works according to his purpose which is good, always good. No life nor death ever occurs apart from the purposes of God. Isaiah 46, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Truly, I have spoken. Now, I can't speak like that, and neither can you, but God does. Truly, I will bring it to pass. I planned it. Surely, I will do it. That's his omnipresence, his omniscience. Let's talk about his imminence. The, song, the uh, prophet Isaiah looked in Isaiah 6 and he saw the Lord high and lifted up 
seated on the throne of thrones, the throne of the universe, and his robe filled the temple. There's quite a view of God, and the angels were, were declaring, the seraphim declaring, he is holy, holy, holy. It tells us something about God and his fullness and his being. It's what theologians call transcendent. It means that he is otherly. He is not like us. He is exalted. He is in heaven. He is above heaven. He is enthroned. He is all those things. That's what it means to be transcendent. But imminent means that he is imminently involved in you. He is in you. He says in verse 7, whether you go, thy spirit, I'm there. Wherever you're, you're at, you cannot go anywhere without the Lord knowing precisely where you are. He is intimately involved. And look at what he says in verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee. He has an aspect of his being that is represented in all three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son is said to be the very brilliance and the radiance of the Father. In all of that, though he is other than us, though he is greater than us, though he is exalted and highly lifted up, he is imminently involved in you. This is what the psalmist is talking about. This is what he is saying. He said in verse 13, you have possessed my reins, covered me in my mother's womb. This started very early in your existence. And in that, he is never limited in his understanding of you. He is all wise. You see, every bit of God in his godness, in his characteristics, is involved in you. It's not just that's God and here we are. He is acting all of that on us. Everything about him is involved in us. And so we get the full being of God as his children. When he says, I will be their God and they will be my people, that says more than we can really imagine. Because it's the fullness of his being, his, who he is, is imminently in us. And even all of his wisdom is in us. That is, there's no event, no circumstance, no situation, no decision. Nothing that we go through, yours or anyone else's, will ever diminish God's understanding about you and your life. Isn't that good to know? Verse 11, he says, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Darkness and light is troubling sometimes, that dichotomy of life, if you will. 
thrown at us. Sometimes the darkness is hard to deal with. Sometimes the light is hard to deal with because the light shines on our sin and examines us to the fullness of it before this holy, holy, holy God. But for God, the light and the dark are the same for him. Nothing affects him. The sin of this world doesn't affect him like it affects me or affects you. The great thing about going to heaven is that we'll be in the very presence of him who is not affected by light or darkness. In fact, uh, the book of Revelation tells us it won't be any sun because we won't need a sun. He is the sun. He is the light that will shine on us. He will give us all the glory will be before our eyes. Think of that when you're going through what you're going through. Think of that in the times you open, we don't open a paper anymore, but when you open the internet and you read the news or you sit down and you watch the news on the television and everything is just bad, 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 bad. There's death here, there's killing here, there's murder here, there's rape there, there's theft. There's all these things. There's no good. It's just a reminder of all the sin that is there. And let me give you a little clue of this 2024 election. If Mr. Trump is elected, it's not going to help. And if Mr. Biden is reelected, it's not going to help. There's no man that's going to help this. But I want you to understand, God is never limited in his understanding of you. And this is what drives our worship. This is what drives our love for him. This is what drives our exaltation and praise. Because we know and understand that he is all wise to us. Everything in our lives is under his wisdom. He knows you as much as and about you in the moments before your conception as he does right now and each and every day. He sees you in completely in the context of eternity outside of time. And that's more wise than anything we see happening at this time. 90 years, 80 years, 70 years, 60 years, 50s, 40s, doesn't matter. We're going through time that is only in this minuscule moment, even of humanity, the history of humanity, but more than that, in the realm of eternity, we are not even a particle of dust in the vast universe. No way has God's knowledge or perspective of you been inhibited or impeded or blocked not any circumstance, not any experience, nor will it ever be. He continues, he says, God is your personal creator. He is father. We tend to think that mama and daddy had the responsibility of making us. 
Mama used to say, I brought you into this world, and I will be able to bring you out if you try me. But she was wrong. It's God who brought us into this world. He brought us into conception, and God is the one who knits you together. Verse 13 says, you possess my reins. You cover me in my mother's womb. Um, another way of saying that is you form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. Think about that, God woving, weaving us into the womb of our mother. He did that. Now, I understand all the physicalities of uh, what this perfect union of husband and wife that God has formed and made. And he said, go out and increase. Continue to have. But God's the one that put the DNA in you. And this vanity and this foolishness of transgenderism is a suicide of identity. I don't care what they cut off or put on or place in them, they will never change XX or XY. Never. God did that. It's his fingerprint on you and me. He has formed you that way. He has made you man or he has made you woman. And you can push against that it's the ultimate way of idolatry I will be God I will determine who I am and I will not be under him your genetic makeup your eyes that may be blue or brown your hair that might be brown or blonde or red all God He's done that. Your abilities, your looks, your talents, your traits, your personality apart from your sin, all were designed and built by your creator with his personal touch that you are you. He made you that way. It may be your father's eyes and your mother's smile. It may be your grandma's dimples and your grandfather's toes, but God made you and breathed life into you. And he has, as a believer, done that in a spiritual way and birthed you into his kingdom. Yes. And apart from that birth, just like your natural birth, you would not exist. Apart from the birth of the Spirit of God, you would not be a Christian today. Because we would have gone our own way. Also, he is showing not only his attributes of omniscience and omnipotence and eminence and wisdom in his fatherhood, but also his sovereignty. God personally planned your destiny. Past tense. 
Look at verse 16. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. In other words, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And notice this. In your book, they have been written. The days that were ordained for me, each and every one of you, have been given a number of days. And that number of days is not determined by your diet. It's not determined by your sin. It's determined by your God. He's determined all your days. He breathed this into you. He put it into your DNA. This day will be your birth. This day will be your death. He said, your eyes saw my substance. From the womb, you're a person in God's eyes. He knows who he is creating you to be. Now the question is, do you see just how precious that is? Because in verse 17, he says, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me. Here's the expression of God's love. It's not just that God in all his full character of his person is omniscient and he is omnipresent and he's omnipotent and he's all-powerful and he's all-wise and he is father and he is sovereign and all of these things, but it's that he loved you. We love him because he first loved us. He loved you in an intimate way. Before you ever were, he loved you. This is his precious thoughts to you. This is what we need to think about. And the psalmist thinks about it. Because at the end of verse 17, he says, How great is the sum of them. Now, if I'm counting up money, I love some. I even love multiply. <laughs> and we're thinking about the treasure of God to us. This is what David saying, the precious thoughts. That which is precious is valuable. That which is precious is costly. He has precious thoughts to us. That is greater than any sum of money. Yeah. That's greater than any sum of all the treasures of this earth that kings could ever obtain. Solomon gathered all these riches to himself and became extremely, extremely wealthy. Probably more wealthy than the richest today. But what is greater than anything of this earth? Now, I talked about family. I've talked about friends. I've talked about all the church. And these are indeed lovely and gracious gifts of God. But something that is greater than that still is God's precious thoughts to you. He says that's costly. It's so costly he sent his son. 
his only son to take his wrath for your sin. And give us his righteousness. And that's a wealth that this world cannot afford. Cannot purchase. Cannot buy. This becomes very odd when he begins in verse 18. And we're going to wrap this up pretty quickly here. He says, if I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. These are these precious thoughts. When I'm awake, I'm still with you. Surely, this switch is just odd, isn't it? Surely, that will slay the wicked, oh God. How does he go from precious thoughts of me and all of this that he's been doing in my life and design of my life and the care for my life to, well, we need to have some of these wicked done away with. How does he go from, O oh Lord, thou hast searched me and known me, to this? Depart from me, ye bloody men. For they speak against the wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. You know what's happening here? David is actually moving into the realm of love for God. Because he's been presented all these precious thoughts that God has of him. And he sees the love of God on him. So he's loving what God loves. But the thing that's a problem for David is all the wickedness, the hatred of God, and the sin against God. And so that has created this push, and it should be the same push that you go through. That you don't love the world, but you hate the world. Because the world hates God. And since God loved you the way he loves you, and now that has soaked into you, now we can love like God loves. What does God love? He loves holiness. He loves righteousness. He loves true love. He loves truth and justice. The world doesn't love that. How can we be a part of that? How can we love that? Well, David is saying, I cannot be. And I hate it. Go after him. Deal with it. Which God is going to do. But here's what happens in all of it. Verse 23 comes to this. Search me, O God. He's been thinking about this. These precious thoughts of this God who created all the stars and created me. Who made me who I am and the way I am. It's by his grace that I am what I am, as Paul would say. And he's put this love of him that overshadows all the world and hates sin. And now he comes to this place where he says, then search me, O God. You see, it's not just a hatred towards men because they might be white or they might be black or they might be Jew or they might be Gentile or they might be Republican or they might be Democrat. That's not the issue for David. The issue is a holy God and the evilness of sin. And notice he doesn't leave that with them. He wants to bring it home to himself. Judgment begins at the house of God. 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me then in the way everlasting. I don't want that of sin. I want you. And search me and make sure that that is extracted out. So what this does is it brings a response of humility. There's not this arrogance against the world and we're better than the world. It's I want to come under the scrutiny of God and his law. Humble me. But it also brings comfort to us because we can trust wholly in him and reside in his word. It encourages us to live for God. And it helps us to pray. Because if we see all of this wickedness and this evil, and we see it even in our hearts, Malcolm Muggeridge, the great philosopher of Britain, answered a newspaper article that said, what's wrong with the world? And he simply wrote back, I am. And that's our issue. It's not you that's the problem, it's me that's the problem. It brings humility, it brings us comfort, it brings us encouragement, and it causes us, it stirs us to pray. And pray not only for ourselves, but for men in power, kings, governors. May Biden may Kamala, may all those in Congress, may all our judges, may our governors all be humble before this God. So we pray for them that they would be saved and come to know the God of creation, the sovereign ruler of all the earth who has done such a work in our life. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these precious thoughts. It's amazing that you've had this thought towards me because it's definitely undeserved. It's beyond anything that is anything but mercy and grace. We know this to be the case, but we understand from your word they are these thoughts towards us and we do as a psalmist consider them precious may it move us to have humility may it comfort us in trouble may it give us cause for praise and for worship of you and may it stir us to pray to you our God not only for ourselves but for men for our neighbor for our rulers oh God would you help it's what we need in this country. It's what we need in this nation. It's what we need in this world. Men need Christ. They need to know him crucified. And him crucified is all we have to preach. And that's not merely all we have. That is the power of God and the salvation. And so we boldly go forth and preach Christ crucified because 
in him and him alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody can get to the Father except by him. We praise you in this. In Jesus' name, amen.